A few years ago, I was having a hard time reading small print. I was doing the trombone thing, you know, where you had to find where it's supposed to get clear. I don't know if you've ever done that. My kids were making fun of me. And so I bought some readers, and after a while, the readers weren't really working. And so my wife said, hey, why don't you go to my optometrist? And so I went, and uh, they did an eye exam. And at first, I thought I was being punked. At first, I thought it was a practical joke when she said, read that line. And I said, what, what line? I don't, is there a line there? She goes, what about the next line? I was like, yeah, I, I'm sorry. And I looked around literally looking for cameras, like we're going to get Pastor Jason really good here. She said, okay, let me bring the doctor in. That's how bad it got. And so the doctor came in and he put the sci-fi mask over my face, which by the way, that's an experience altogether. And then he said, A or B, C or D, better or best. And uh, through that experience, I finally were able to see some words on the screen and uh, he laughed. And I, that's never good when the doctor looks at you and laughs. And he said, well, you've, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is you've come to the right place. The bad news is you can't see near and you can't see far. Here's some bifocals. Welcome to your 40s. And I was like, really? He goes, absolutely. And so uh, I stood there wondering how important it was to see. And certainly as I put lenses on, I can see much more clearly, and that's exactly where we're headed today. As we finish the series in Galatians, Paul is going to make very clear uh, two very important points for us this morning. And he's been uh, alluding to this the entire book because we've been for the last 10 weeks in the book of Galatians, but today we're going to finish. And in that rounding home, we are going to see with great clarity Paul's design for the church at Galatia and the believers that are there. And so as Paul is beginning to unpack this, uh, it's unique because he's been describing for the church what does it mean to be an authentic believer. And he's reminded them that faith comes, grace comes by faith and faith alone, not by works. Galatians 2.16, which has kind of been a a hinge verse for us as we've been focusing on the book of Galatians says, and we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works. And so the challenge for us as we've been unpacking the book is to remind ourselves that there were many in Galatia who were Judaizers and they were coming to different people, especially new converts, and reminding them that for them to be authentic believers in Christ, they must first become Jewish. They must first be circumcised. And Paul, throughout the letter, urges the reader to take heart of the cross of Jesus and reminding them that's all you need to find yourself in right standing, to be right with God. So Paul begins to unpack this letter, and so we're going to finish it up today, Galatians chapter 6. If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to find yourself, Galatians 6, verse 11, and this is what the Scriptures say. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that that they may boast in your flesh. 
but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. For now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So if we've read this text, Paul begins by saying there's going to be some large letters. I am writing to you in very large letters. I'm not sure if the Church of Galatia needed to see Dr. Franks like I did, but Paul is going to make a point here. He is, uh, as you may well know, Paul throughout his New Testament writings would often dictate orally what was written down, and a secretary would write down the words that Paul would say. And toward the end of the book, Paul would take up that pen and he would either write a postscript, a benediction, or he would sign his name to that letter as a sign of authenticity. Well, here in verse 11, he's going to take the pen from the secretary and he's going to write it himself. As if to say those who would read it, this is very important. It's me writing to you now these last few verses. I want you to see with great clarity and with great understanding what is to follow. And so on the backdrop of how to live the Christian life that we find in Galatians chapter 5, that we are to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. He's giving his last words of instruction. And I, and I think it's categorized in two questions that we need to ask ourselves this morning. And the first question is this. Is your story your glory? Paul unpacks for us the reality of where our pride might fit into a reality of faith. And in verse 12, he warns the reader that there are those who will come and they will manipulate and they will take what is not theirs all for their own glory. They don't keep the law themselves. They are only in it for their own selfish desires. They compromise. They're going to be hypocritical. They brag and they lie and they tell people that they must identify as a Jew as a prerequisite for salvation. Why do they do that? Well, Paul answers that by saying they avoid persecution and they do it to look good in front of others. Now, how are they going to avoid persecution? One might say, one might ask, the Jewish leaders and authorities are pretty upset that there's all these new converts in this area. And so they go out to attack those new converts. And if they can't get a new convert to identify as a Jew, they're going to attack and ask the Jewish leaders to get the new converts to identify as Jews. And so in doing so, they're putting significant pressure upon these Jewish leaders because the cross of Christ was a crime. It was scandalous. It was taking away the authority of the Jewish leaders, and they didn't like it one bit. It was reducing what they could offer, and they desired their own selfish gain and selfish desires. And so the thought is that if we can get a convert to identify as a Jew, well, then that makes the Jewish synagogues look better. They're not breaking Mosaic law. They are fulfilling Mosaic law. And Jesus comes and says, listen, I have come to fulfill all of the law. And he reminds them of that. But for these Jewish leaders to put pressure on these new converts was to mitigate 
the scandal of the cross. And as a result, these false teachers, they could boast in their own abilities. The more they converted to Judaism to agree to circumcision, the better that they looked. And in verse 13, Paul says, they are boasting in your flesh. And we're reminded throughout the entire book that it's not about what we do that brings us good grace with the Lord. Divine accomplishment always trumps human achievement. What Jesus did on the cross is so much more important than what we could do in any meaning, in any way to serve him or to appear like we're serving him. So Paul exposes their desire, personal glory. They're boasting in their flesh and it asks, it kind of begs us the question, where and how and when do I boast in my own flesh? Do I struggle to attain my own personal glory? So here's a question for us this morning. What do we brag on? Where do we focus? Where is our attention or where is our affection? Where do we spend our time or our money or our focus? You answer those questions and you might find yourself where there's places in your life where pride and personal glory can begin to dwell up. For some of you, it's a hobby. For others of you, it's a job or it's a career. But there are places in our life where we get wrapped up in our own personal glory. We live in a culture that it really exalts popularity. It exalts our intellect, our appearance, our income, what we do in life. And truth is, if we were to open up your phones or open up your computers at home, Instagram, Facebook culture is starving for comments, for likes, for reposts, for follows. Subscribe to this channel, subscribe to that person, and it's entirely me-centered. Listen, we showcase our accomplishments as if social media were our own personal trophy cases for the world to see. Now hear me, there's nothing wrong with going on a vacation. There's nothing wrong with working hard and receiving the benefit of that. There, there's nothing wrong with acquiring things, but when our worth and our value and our hope and our glory is wrapped up in those achievements, in our looks or in our bank accounts or in our <clears throat> kids or our grandchildren, we have fallen to the trap of allowing our story to be our glory. And God has called us to a much different way than just that. For us, we can't allow the success of our present or even our past push us into our own glory. I, like many of you, have letter jackets in my closet. I've got uh, trophies and and wards and boxes in the attic and scrapbooks full of newspaper clippings. I don't bring that stuff out. If I came to you this morning with a letter jacket on, first of all, it wouldn't fit. But second of all, you'd be asking yourself, what, what, what's he doing? Because who cares? Who cares about our past? We live so easily in the glory of our glory days. That's in fact, it's odd that we even call them that. Paul is calling us to a higher standard. Don't be like those who boast in the flesh, whose story is their glory. And he calls us to a different way. 
I see this in men. We glory in our careers. And so we labor and toil for more responsibility or more money. I see this in moms as they desire for their kids to be all that they can be. And there's nothing wrong with pushing our children into honor rolls and first chairs and straight A's. There's nothing wrong with helping our kids do the very best that they can, but I'm afraid that a lot of times we as families, we primp and we prod and we chauffeur them from here to there, all in the hope that they would do better, be better, be seen as better. And we say to ourselves, I just want the best for them, but inside we've allowed their story to be our glory. Or maybe even worse, sometimes we as parents, we give our kids all the freedom in the world. And like a ship without an anchor, whatever current gets them is what keeps them. And we as grandparents and as moms and dads and uncles and as men and women in the church, we've got to hold the line for our kids and our students with God's word, helping them not to be taken away captive. It's not about what they can do. It's about whose they are. And we as a community of faith need to realize that our kids are not our own, they are his. And we are called to steward that relationship and that responsibility as the body of Christ. So what a challenge for us to remember every single child in our fold, in our responsibility needs all of us to hold them tight, to remind them that their greatest things that they can do should be all for the glory of God. And that we're called together to love them for whose they are, not just for what they can do. So Paul makes a distinction here between the false teachers there in verse 12, and he's reminding us that their pride is in themselves, their, their pride is in their own flesh, and that they've stepped away from biblical obedience. And then he's going to make a comparison to those kinds of people. So it begs the second question. If our story's in our glory, second question for us is his work your perk? Now, I know that's a little cheesy this morning, but that's okay. Sometimes we work for the perks in our life. We, a perk is a benefit that we might receive. And so we choose jobs in our current culture based upon the perks that we might receive from that job. It may be a company car. It could be health insurance. It might be a bonus, some sort of compensation perk that comes our way. But, but perks are kind of important as we talk about jobs, but it's also in our daily life. We look for different perks that would benefit us. When I choose the airline, I'm looking for more leg room or, or priority seating. And so we work for the perks. We, we fly a certain airline or we eat a certain restaurant to be able to get free food the more we eat there. Or maybe we shop at Kroger so we can get a discount on, on gasoline. And we always work for those kinds of perks. And sometimes we don't even really know that we're doing that. When Brooke and I were first married, um, there's the thing, I'm not sure if it's all over, I can just speak to the South, but for whatever reason, um, this is not a, a sexist comment, it's just, a, I think, a truth 
that women in the South have this thing for sonic drinks. I'm not sure what that's about. I don't know if it's the ice. Apparently, that's a big deal. If it's a styrofoam cup, that too is also a big deal. The straw, it's like the right circumference. I'm not sure if it's the right, you know, syrup versus the soda water. I don't know how that works. But most of the women in my life love a sonic drink. And so it's confusing. I go north, that's not that way. It's just, it's weird. So when Brooke and I were first married, I'd get her a sonic drink. And so I'd bring her the drink and then I'd take my drink and I'd go do whatever I was going to do. And she would ask me this question, did you keep the receipt? No, I didn't plan to keep the receipt. So I would not keep the receipt. I didn't plan to exchange my drink. There's nothing wrong with my drink. I'm not going to turn it back in, you know. So she would ask me, I'd bring a drink, to keep the receipt? No, just keep the receipt? No. And I'm like, what? why? Why do you need the receipt? It's like a dollar. What's the deal? When she reminded me that at the bottom of said receipt is often a coupon for a barrel of drink called a Route 44. I didn't know that. So you could grab both hands around said drink and drink all day long <laughs> if you kept the receipt. She was working for the perk. I had no idea that that's exactly what we were doing. We find ourselves working for perks in life, and Paul is going to say, listen, the only benefit that I've ever received in all of my life that is worthy of me being boastful or being proud is the cross of Christ. And so there in verse 14, he makes this comparison, and we quickly realize what camp Paul is going to be in. He's going to say, I am only going to boast on Jesus. In fact, he uses some, some pretty specific language here. In the ESV, he says, be far, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This first phrase, but far be it from me, is as if to say, I'll never, ever, 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 ever boast in anything but Jesus. To boast is to give glory to boast is to make much of or to be consumed with or to be mastered by. And so here in verse 14, Paul says, the only thing I'll glory in is Jesus. The only thing I'll make much of is Jesus. The only thing I'm going to be mastered by is Jesus. The only thing I'm going to be consumed by is Jesus. His work is my only perk. Nothing else matters. Paul said it this way in the book of Philippians chapter 3, I consider everything around me, anything that I have gained, I consider all loss comparing knowing Jesus as my Lord. And so the result is, Paul says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does it mean to have the world be crucified? Well, it's to put an end to our own agenda that I boast in the cross because there's nothing the world can offer me. I am dead to the world. I have crucified the world in my mind. I have taken up my cross and I will follow him. And that's what Matthew 16 says. Whoever will be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will find it. Die to self, take up the cross. For him, I will sacrifice all things for him. Now, Paul's already discussed this idea to the churches there in Galatia. 
He says this in chapter 2, verse 20, a very familiar verse. We spoke on this several weeks ago that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. A few verses earlier in chapter 5, verse 24, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Paul emphasizes that the grace that was given to him by the death of the cross, resulting in the world being dead to him, the old life is gone. I have put that to death. And now what lives is my life in Christ. He says, Not just the world was dead to him, but now he was dead to the world. Verse 14, and I to the world. The amazing work of the cross to those who believe means this, that the world has no power over you any longer. The chains are broken. A new course is set. You are now no longer under the spell, under the slavery under the power of this world. Paul in Romans chapter six, verse six, says we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The flesh has been executed, we've been set free, now we can live. That's what Paul wants to boast about. He's not going to boast about what he can do. He's not going to boast about who he is. He's just going to boast about the cross of Christ. His work was done on my behalf, Paul says, and that's all I'll boast about. Why? Because we are new creations. Verse 15, it says, for those who are... In the circumcision, those who have not been circumcised, what does it matter? All that matters is that we are new creations. To identify as a Jew, to identify as a Gentile is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. What matters is that your life has been transformed by the cross of Jesus. That's what matters. Matters. There's evidence of a new life. You've been reborn. The cross has done something that nothing else could do. The cross has done something that keeping the law could not do. The cross has done something that these Judaizers cannot do. You, through Christ and the cross, are now transformed into a new creation. That's what matters. And that's what Paul's going to boast about. Paul is saying is that new creation represents biblical Christianity, not Jewish customs. So the gospel, it's not about religious acts, it's about transformation. It's not about attending church or or giving an offering or serving others. It is about living as a new creation. That's what we ought to be boasting about. That is what is important. His work is the perk, not our works, not our effort, not us trying. He's already done it. I I love watching the Olympics. It's one of my favorite things to do in the summertime, even the wintertime. And and I think about all the training that an an Olympic athlete must do. You know, they were doing push-ups when they were in the womb. They, you know, eat right. They 
exercise all the time. They're world-class athletes. But no Olympic athlete trains for second place. No one remembers the silver medalist. The glory is in the gold. No one trains to lose. Michael Phelps, who is the most decorated Olympian in history, although has some silver medals. My guess is he didn't wake up today and go, I'm just going to train good enough to be second. I want to be the first loser. I think often, though, when we don't allow his work to be all that we need, we're running a race that we'll never win. Because I think here's what happens. For a lot of believers in the room, we've trusted Christ for salvation, but we're running as if we need to do more works, more works, more works, more works for the process of sanctification, becoming more and more like him. And so what's interesting about that is we're hyper-focused on doing right and not doing wrong that we have forgotten about the relationship Jesus has called us to. And so we run the race of doing everything right, of coming to church, make our kids are coming to church, make sure we bring this, make sure we serve there, make sure that we're engaged here. And our engagement with the church or with the Lord is just in doing right things. If that's the way you'll live, you will lose this race every time. Stop running a race you cannot win. You'll always be chasing, always be wondering, always be living in some sort of weird fear that if you do something wrong that you won't receive the blessing of God. That's not how that works. Stop chasing. Accept fully the work of the cross, not just for our salvation, but for your daily life. I think the other reality for some of us isn't just that we're running a race we'll never win, but often we're running just enough. And what I mean by that is we're faking it. We do just enough to appear right, to appear good, to appear obedient. But it's all fake. It's a sham. It's a a fast gate. It's not really who we are. If we were to look deep down into your life, you would be guilty of just lip service, of, of just trying to pretend, of just appearing to be like Jesus, appearing to be a follower of him, appearing to do what's right and avoid what's wrong. Can I tell you something about God? God is not into appearances. God desires authentic obedience. So let's get away from faking it and let's truly move into embodying this reality of being a new creation. Earlier in Galatians chapter 4, Paul reminds us, why would you go back to living in the old way? But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and all that's gone, you now are a new creation. Romans 8, therefore don't live condemned by sin because you're not condemned by sin any longer. 
So run fast and hard after the cross of Christ. Put our boasting and our pride and our hope and our glory in that daily. And it will change how you look at Jesus. So Paul finishes up and he says, those who do that, those who boast in Christ, who are focused on the new creation, hear what's coming your way. Peace and mercy will come to you. And just as the book began in verse 3 of chapter 1 with grace, the book will end here in verse 18 with grace. Paul's major theme is to remind us that our faith is by grace alone and not by our works. So how do we apply this today? A couple of things this morning as we close. One, go to the cross. Go to the cross. If you're struggling with the idea that, you know what, Jason, I would say that maybe as I've, I've heard the scriptures today, I might find myself boasting in my own flesh. I might find myself that my desire, my, my affections are really in my bank account or really in what I've done for my job or really in my kids or really not in the cross. And I would challenge you to go to the cross because at the cross, pride is destroyed. At the cross, the boasting in self is crucified. When we're reminded of the rescue that Jesus gives us through the death of the cross, we are completely humbled. So we go to the cross for salvation. What would it look like for you to daily go to the cross in humble adoration, being reminded of the glory of the cross? And that's what we're called to boast in. And so challenge you to find yourself at the foot of the cross in your daily readings in the scripture and how you worship, get to the cross. And there you will find yourself with great pride in only him. I would say, secondly, walk in the spirit. Paul dealt with this idea in chapter four and chapter five. And I think it's a great way for us to find ourselves in boasting in only him as we're walking in the spirit. So what this looks like for you is maybe this week or even this afternoon or maybe in these next few moments, you would ask and pray to the spirit of God, lead me. Spirit of God, lead me. Spirit of God, help me to walk in step with you. Spirit of God, I desire for the fruit of my life to be poured out upon others, but I need you to do that work in me. Relinquish control to the spirit is a great way for you to embody these last few verses. I would say three, be known for Jesus. So often many of us are known for different things. You may be a teacher, so you're known as Jenny the educator. You, you, you may be a banker, so you're Todd the banker. Uh, we're often known for our careers. And we're known for what we've done. What would it be like if, if people looked at you and the first thing they thought that man, that young lady, that student loves Jesus. But the first idea that came to their mind wasn't what you did as a career or what you could do on the football field or the baseball diamond, but who you were in Christ Jesus. That's the challenge for all of us, to not be known for our career or a title or what it says on a business card, but to be known for Jesus. Challenge yourself to engage in those godly conversations with everybody around you daily. And that will put you at a place 
that you're reminded that we're not important for what we do, but we're important for whose we are. And then lastly this morning, I would say either you glory in the flesh or you glory in Christ. Pick one. Pick one. I wrote that statement about two weeks ago, uh, preparing for today. And I just kind of had to stop and, and, and simply I, I closed my computer and I just sat there and I prayed in the presence of God, Jesus, help me to pick you every day. Because I'll tell you, I stand up here as a man who struggles often, just like many of you, with the idea of glory in my own flesh or glory in self. And if I'm challenged to every day pick one, my heart's desire is to pick the reality of me being glory in Christ and Christ alone. But it's got to be a daily choice. It's got to be a challenge that I've got to challenge myself to pick up my cross daily and let my glory be in him, not in me. So is your story your glory? Is his work really all that you care about, your only perk? This morning, as, as you do business with God, we're going to have moments of response here in the worship center, moments of response in the venue. We're going to sing. And what a challenge for us in our worship to boast about who Jesus is. Maybe some of you this morning need to go home and just like I did, close your laptop or turn off your phone and, and just commit to the Lord. Some of you in this room may need to speak to somebody about who Jesus is in your life, about the next steps that you need to take to follow him. In the venue, we have Next Step Station in the back. I encourage you in a response to go there. Here in the worship center, we also have Next Steps out in the lobby. And so as we respond and sing, I'm just going to ask that you be obedient to what Jesus has for you. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you and how will you respond to him?